0: Hurry up, Santa. You'll be late. Relax, my little friends. There's plenty of time. Maybe for you, but for us, it's rush, rush, rush. Always last minute. I like all the excitement, the anticipation. The little boys and girls snuggled in their beds, dreams of sugar plums dancing in their... Santa, please! We know, okay? Just hook up the reindeer and go, or you really will be late! Like me? Oh, why? I've never missed a Christmas yet! <laughs> Junk Food Dinner 598. Our
1: shorts will fill you with the Christmas spirit this week. First... Santa's Kidnapped in The Glow Friends Save Christmas. Next, a holiday infomercial for this year's gadgets in Siskel and Ebert's 1987 Holiday Gift Guide. Finally, Dave Foley tells us what the season is really about in The True Meaning of Christmas Specials.
0: when toys
2: were a dollar or two. Welcome to Junk Food Dinner, episode 598. This is the podcast where each week we scour the internet, video stores, and cable television, searching for the most outrageous and interesting cult films. In Ohio, I am Kevin Moss, and I'm joined by my California co-host, Parker Bowman in the 559, and Sean Byron in LA. This week, once again, we slip into some comfortable shorts, but not just any shorts, Christmas themed shorts, as we take a look at The Glow Friends Save Christmas from 1985, Siskel and Ebert's 1987 holiday gift guide, and the true meaning of Christmas specials from 2002. But first, gentlemen, how are you doing this week? Are you in the Christmas spirit? You know, for me, it takes me a while, but I eventually get there. I've embraced Christmas as an adult, you know, for years as a brooding uh, 20-something. And, you know, I'd say, fuck Christmas. Who needs it? for kids it's for corporate idiots to sell stuff <laughs> but you know i, I as i aged and softened i uh, i embrace the christmas spirit now you know you just got to find what you like in the holiday because christmas i mean you know it doesn't have to be a religious experience it can be whatever you want you you know if you like just watching uh, santa claus conquers the martians and listening to you know weird christmas songs on uh, spotify you know if that's how you get into the christmas spirit That's how you get into the Christmas spirit. Me, I got into the Christmas spirit in a kind of a weird way this week. Uh, Me and my girlfriend Anna, we went down to Louisville, and uh, we watched uh, old porno movies in a tiki bar. Christmas-themed porno (laughs) movies, though. So, that was fun. What kind of pornos are y'all watching over there? Christmas-themed, old Christmas-themed pornos. There was uh, an event that they do down in Louisville at this tiki bar where they have a burlesque dancer present old porno with different themes and of course this month was you know christmas themed they had christmas themed tiki drinks and uh yeah they showed like an old french porno from the 20s where lady fucks saint nick oh boy that was something else um and and just a bunch of old pornos from various countries but all mostly santa claus fucking somebody that's was usually the theme of the christmas pornos <laughs> back then they didn't really get too creative with them but uh it was fun but the most fun of the whole thing was the fact that this like wasn't like a private event people were just walking in off the streets and apparently there had been like a write-up <laughs> recently in the paper that this place had like really good like christmas themed tiki drinks so a lot of like middle-aged <laughs> women like walked in on this event and were just like horrified immediately
3: it's yeah
2: you know just these nice southern kentucky women looking for a nice christmas night out of the town you know maybe co-workers uh but yeah just walking in and, and seeing uh, santa claus deep dicking someone with full pubic hair so uh it was a fun night <laughs> to say the least but it, like i said it put me right in the christmas spirit now i'm i'm 100 percent in i uh you know, I've got the, the Christmas sweater. I got, uh, you know, the Christmas music going. I'm ready. I got the spirit. What are you guys? How are you guys feeling? Are you, are you in it yet? Did these Christmas shorts at least kind of get you there?
1: Kevin Moss, I mean, before you even revealed to us um, this, you know, what sounds like a wonderful Christmas theme, Christmas themed week you've been having, <laughs> I, I was gearing up to say, like, hey, I, I don't have the spirit. Oh, um, no. But I mean, after hearing you say that, I I feel like I'm starting to be infected a a little bit by the spirit. But but no, I mean, I realize now, you know, even though this past week when I was grocery shopping, I did pick up a large quantity of Christmas themed cookies. I Mm. realized that I forgot the eggnog. So I can't say that I'm effectively in holiday spirits without the eggnog. I mean, I think that's a defining factor.
2: Yeah, no, I've picked up eggnog already. I've got those same holiday cookies that you're talking about, probably.
1: Um, yeah, are I'm they ready. are they from Trader Joe's? No. Oh well,
2: then I'm sad to say you don't
1: have the good kind that <laughs> I got.
2: I got two varieties. I got the shortbread and the
1: gingerbread. You know.
2: Oh, nice. But they're ready. They're ready for di- to be dipped in this uh, this eggnog.
1: Are they tree shaped? Oh yeah, all kinds that of shapes:
2: gingerbread men, trees, candy canes, the works.
1: Very nice. I, I did see some movies. If if you if you'd like, I can I can run down a, a few movies I've seen and, and what I thought if, of them. If they
2: don't have anything to do with Christmas. I don't want to know about them.
1: They, they're they're <laughs> yeah. In fact, they have nothing to do with Christmas. Couldn't be further from Christmas. Some <laughs> okay. of these. Okay. Let's hear it. Well, I saw the um, the documentary that's sexploitation.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: On Arrow streaming, this is a, it's a Frank Henenlotter uh, documentary. Uh, That He he put together not about his movies, but about the history of sexploitation uh, together with David Friedman, a longtime schlock producer. Pretty good. It's you know, if you've seen things like Not Quite Hollywood, it's that kind of a format, just tons and tons and tons of clips of all these like nudie cuties and stuff uh, throughout the ages. But it's a good kind of background watch. Very, uh, you know low level of commitment to to get into it and you get to see a a ton of 1950s tits on screen and and high pixels
2: wow yeah i've been wanting to check that out and i've read a little bit about it and know hennenlotter's involvement and obviously he's a treasure trove of information so if anybody's going to make a a sexploitation documentary I, i trust hennenlotter so you'll have to check that out
1: yeah, it's, it's well worth a watch. Uh, also well worth a watch is the Listening to Kenny G documentary that's on HBO Max right now. <laughs> I've that. I've, I've heard really, people talk about this. Yeah, it really surprised me. You know, I, I have <clears throat> really no interest in Kenny G. Uh, I mean, I think like most people, I think he's kind of a joke. You know, I do like jazz music. What's interesting when you watch this is that it's clear he doesn't. Like he actively says, I don't really listen to music. Uh, there's like a painting of Thelonious Monk in his studio and he doesn't know who that is. Uh, it's wild, uh, but it's a great documentary, well worth watching and says a lot about kind of the, kind of like how music is sold corporately and and how audiences are found for certain kinds of music. I, I thought it was really good. Um, I finally caught up with Uncut Gems, uh, which I liked a lot. Didn't like as much as Good Time, but, uh, still thought it was really good. Um, Licorice Pizza, thought it was okay. Kind of disappointed, but it was okay. I don't know. I didn't hate it. And Sean Baker's new movie, uh, the director of uh, Florida Project and Tangerine, uh, his new movie Red Rocket, which I thought was great. Uh, oh, if you yeah. had a chance to see Red Rocket, I totally recommend it.
2: I'm amped on Red Rocket. I can't wait to see it. Um, John Waters, I think, had it on his list of best movies of the year, and I love. Yeah, I love that dude's other movies so yeah i can't wait to see that i i, I do want to see licorice pizza I, I despite your lukewarm uh response to it i've i've heard some mixed things some people didn't like it but some people really liked it i'm always willing to give pt anderson a shot even though you know i don't love all his stuff but um i'll check it out i heard there's uh there's pinball elements involved
1: yeah, uh, mm-hmm. kind of the you know one of the climactic scenes takes place at a pinball parlor. It's it's kind of a big part of the movie and.
2: Yeah. Oh, I hope it's not like the
1: accused. No, no, no. It, it's that, <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. Thankfully, um, and uh, if you're a fan of Haim, I, I guess you know you'll you'll probably love it. She's really good in it, Alana Haim. Um, but the movie, I don't know. I don't not really sure what what he was going for. Hmm. Did you, did you see this as well, Bowman?
4: No, it doesn't play up here until Christmas, so that's probably what I'll be doing that day. Yeah, i got to wait for Christmas as well.
1: You guys yeah. did see Uncut Gems, though, I'm guessing, being longtime Netflix subscribers.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw it in the theater. Um, Me too. Ooh. Right before, pre-pandemic. Um, but yeah, like Parker said, I, my favorite part of that movie was when uh, Adam Sandler uh, said to jiggle his cock and nuts around, <laughs> do it for mama. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's the best part it's like he's constantly tell, telling eric Bogosian to jiggle around his cock and nuts. it's great
2: <laughs> yeah i i thought it was okay like you i didn't i didn't like it nearly as much as good time and sandler sandler got on my nerves
1: i, I thought it yeah. was good i mean I, I think he he was playing the role kind of as, as it was written i i think yeah that character maybe could have been written in a way that was like slightly more endearing. (laughs) I know what they were going for, but like, I feel like he's making the wrong decisions all the way up to the end. And you could have done it in a way where it's like, give him a point where he makes a turn and starts trying to do the right thing. But you know, the consequences are still chasing him, but they don't really do that. So yeah, but still I thought it was great. The style is amazing.
4: Do you think that when they wrote the script, they wrote, use an annoying grandma voice the whole time <laughs>
1: <laughs> i didn't find his voice annoying i've, I've heard that for multiple people but uh the whole time i was watching it like that didn't even strike me that he was doing much of a different voice than his normal kind of sandler voice
4: yeah i don't know it's, it seemed like he was going out of his way to be annoying but maybe i mean maybe that's the point who knows i like bogosian though anytime eric bogosian's in a movie five stars from me yeah that's fair I love
1: them. You like him a great deal. Mm-hmm.
4: That's a fact.
2: Well, what about you, Bowman? How was your week that was?
4: Well, as I mentioned, I failed to go to the pinball place, Pizza Planet. But I'll, yeah. I'll make it there eventually. Um, you get, what I got to go and report back. I have to go. i got to give a live report. Um but what I saw – what I did instead was I saw the movie Belfast, the new Kenneth Branagh movie that we talked about on the bonus episode a little bit.
2: Now, there's multiple uh, Golden Globe nominations for this film.
4: What can you tell me about it? I can tell you that they're all very deserved. Everybody in the cast is fucking great. The little kid is magnifique. Usually I hate little kid movies, but that little kid is really good. I feel like we've gotten some good little kids the last couple of years. Like Jojo Rabbit had a couple of good kids. This kid's yeah. good. Okay. It's me. Maybe we're on an upswing for kids, but it's, I mean, it's probably not for everybody. And it was like almost borderline, not for me. It's like very much like you got to know exactly what was happening in Northern Ireland in 1971 or whatever the year is. And like, cause like it well, doesn't like walk you through it, you know, it's like, I guess. Fortunately, I've listened to a lot of stiff little
2: fingers in my life. So
4: I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have helped. Yeah, I should have studied their lyrics before before seeing it. But yeah, it's like about the Civil War there, and like I I know nothing about that as a young American, so I was a little bit lost. But it's mostly about like family and and the characters, and so you kind of get into it pretty quickly. You don't need to know the ins and outs of of religious war or whatever. So I thought it was really good.
1: Nice okay. yeah, I think uh, Kenneth Branagh was on. I think it was Marin. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and I listened to his interview. seems like a, a really likable dude. You know, I've always thought that he was uh, a talented actor, but seems like a really cool guy. I don't know that this movie's for me, but it's, it's cool to hear that it's out there. I, eventually, I, I might become a mature enough adult that this subject <laughs> matter appeals to me, but until then, I'm going to be watching, you know, uh, titty
4: flicks. There's some very nice black-and-white photography in it, so maybe go see it and just wear earphones or something, so... I think you would enjoy that part of it. Sounds good to me.
2: Yeah, listen to the stuff little fingers on your earbuds while you watch it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it
1: could improve any film.
2: Well, I would ask if you guys want to check in with the fine folks out there in Junk Food Dinner Land in this week's segment of Junk Mail. But once again, second week in a row. No right. voicemails.
4: We're, we're shutting, shutting down. the Discord down. <laughs> we're, we're taking down that Discord. I'm yeah. sick of this shit. We made a mistake.
2: Listen, guys, we love the Discord, too, but ask us questions in real life on the, uh, <laughs> you know, on the voicemail, as God intended. Yeah. yeah, sure, you might have to wait a week and a half to get an answer to your question, but
1: it'll yeah. be worth it. And we, we might make fun of you on air.
2: Yeah. That's
1: we might, part of the process.
2: We <laughs> might rate you on a boob scale,
1: but you know what?
2: You'll be you'll go down in history. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Because in my mind, I do think that the voicemails are more important, more important to me than the actual Discord. So I feel like this should serve as kind of a warning. Like, we will eliminate that Discord. We'll take it away, guys. You know, we we need these voicemails. (laughs) The
4: Discord is a privilege, not a right. All right.
1: You're being warned. We'll just have to
4: start kicking out people who used to send in voicemails regularly. We'll kick those guys out of
1: the Discord, and leave the Discord up for everybody else.
4: That's how it's going to have to go
1: can't have Brian Brian from New York in our Discord anymore. Come on, Mr. Brian. You you used to call all the time. (laughs) What, I'm no good anymore?
4: Yeah. Mr. Brian told me happy birthday in the Discord the other day. I should have just replied. Instead of saying thank you, I should have just replied with the phone number for the voicemail line. (laughs) Yeah, just a
1: link to the call now button. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is sad. I'm I'm sure that there's other podcasts out there that around this time of year, this holiday time of year, they're getting well wishes from their listeners. Their voicemail lines are just ringing off the hook. You think Baron's not getting phone calls about that Kenneth Branagh episode that everybody loved?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give us a call. Let us know what kind of holiday pornos y'all been watching out there. We need to know. This is a community, friends. It's not just the three of us up here. Just, you know jerking off into a microphone. Yeah. That's what tell, it used to be, but not anymore. <laughs> tell us peekaboo <laughs> you fuck shoe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need that kind of human interaction. Anyway, come on. Make a make an old man's Christmas nice. Give give your grandpa a call. Uh, <laughs> pick up the phone and dial 347 746 junk. He's lonely this time of year. Just tell tell your three grandpas you love him. Uh, that is That is 347-746-5865, or as we mentioned, you can uh, just go to our Facebook page and hit the call now button. We've made it so simple for you. Anyone can do it, so do it. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, But that being said, let's get into some nerd
5: news. From the global resources of
0: Junk Food Dinner Worldwide, it's time for Nerd News.
2: first piece of nerd news. I have a sad piece of nerd news. Uh, American author and godmother to all goths out there. Anne Rice passed away uh, this week at the uh, at the age of I'm going to say 80? Yep, that's right. Uh, she was an American author, gothic fiction, erotic literature, and surprisingly, Christian literature. Of course, known for the Vampire Chronicles in uh, the film adaptations uh interview with a vampire and queen of the damned uh but also like i said just like a huge like despite those mm-hmm. movies that's probably what she's the best known for are those films but for those that were in the know when those uh she shaped a whole culture of uh you know weirdos goths people in the underground to want to be vampires <laughs> and so uh if you've ever seen you know a weird goth dude in leather pants, uh, trying to look, le- you know, vampire-y. Thank Anne Rice for that. I mean, you know, she didn't create, you know, gothic culture, but she's she's a big piece. Um, I don't know. I think you know Anne Rice, not really our demographic. Um, I think she's very important to a lot of people. I I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm not going to front. I'm not like a Anne Rice super fan or anything. Never read any of her books. Just familiar with. Uh, you know, some of her stories through the movies, but I know many ladies in my day who loved the Anne Rice had a lot of Anne Rice in their libraries. But have you guys ever read any of the Anne Rice books, Interview with a Vampire, or any uh, The Witching Hour, or any of those other classic Rice tales?
4: I actually just read Interview with a Vampire for the first time over Halloween. Oh, yeah. And boy, it sucks. Oh, no. You don't <laughs> speak so, to be over the dead.
1: It was you that did it then.
4: It was me putting it into the ether that uh, I was hoping that she would pass on. Um, No, I mean like it's cool that Anne Rice like created the stuff for like a very specific audience that really embraced it, and you know she was writing these very queer characters at a time when other people weren't, and she also kind of humanized vampires, which on one fork in that road brought us the Lost Boys and Near Dark and Buffy, and on the other side brought us Twilight. So it's good and bad. But sure. like Well, I mean you can't, you know. So you can't blame
2: the doors because Creed happened later though.
4: Well, I'm just saying, like her work
1: has influenced a lot of stuff. Some of it very good, some sure. of it not so good. And, and, um, and you also and that's you ha- can't put Buffy on that same road as the good stuff, right? It clearly that should be on the Twilight Road. Don't get nuts. Uh, c- cut it out, boomer. Us young kids love
4: <laughs> Buffy, and it was very formative, for yeah, us. sure. Um and I mean, I'm just using that to illustrate how influential she was. Like, I don't think that you would have Twilight, which was the biggest thing on Earth for a few years, if not for Anne Rice. Yeah, I
1: think that's Um,
4: true. And but that being said, like, I like her in theory and I appreciate what she's done for vampires and stuff. But uh, very bad writer. That book is excruciatingly bad. And I had a bad time reading it.
1: I never, uh, I, I never fucked around with any of her books, uh, didn't really care about that movie really one way or the other, but, uh, who was a member of that very select demographic was, uh, old stepdad Vinny. Uh, oh,
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> he was a big fan. He had all the books. He was, I remember, you know, when I was a kid or a teenager, you know, he was reading them all the time and he loved that movie. And, you know, I certainly had like uh girl friends in, in high school that love those books as well. And uh I was always curious. So I I guess I am kind of bummed to hear that they're not good because I kind of like the idea of a story that takes place over like you know hundreds of years with these vampire characters. I think that could be fun, but uh if they're written really poorly that's not cool. I feel I mean
4: she's done a ton of them so I feel like if I picked up number five or something it probably would be better as she'd have a better handle on things but i I mean i think that was like her first book or something so maybe she got it later
1: i remember um going down to new orleans probably about a decade ago on vacation and she's like a huge figure down there she owns a bunch of mansions and like she's just like about town you know like that's she's like the big resident is van rice for sure
2: well, yeah, I mean, she kind of, I mean, obviously New Orleans is is very much a character in the stories, from what I understand, as cliche as that sound. But, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a point of pride for them down there. They got, uh, you know, they got beignets, they got the Saints, and they got
1: in Rice. Yeah, and that Abita Root Beer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Good one. And Poe Boys. Yeah, mardi gras yeah. let's,
2: let's just say whatever things we associate with new <laughs> orleans
1: look at that bourbon street guys mm-hmm. smells like vomit every morning
2: it's like family feud but this vinnie this stepdad Vinny becomes more and more intriguing to me every day but are you still in, are you still in contact with Vinny?
4: yeah
1: yeah he's, he's still a part of my life he's still married to your mom still married to my mom yeah
2: we got to get him on the show. I want to ask him about his his love of metal and in race.
1: He's very secretive, but but maybe someday on a bo- like a boner episode or something.
2: Yeah. All right. Just just start planting some seeds. Maybe over the holidays, you, you do your annual Christmas call to the family. Say, hey, put Vin on the phone.
1: Got, <laughs> oh. got a proposal for him. You call him oh. Vin. You, you want it like that? I, I thought you were recommending that I just kind of secretly record our holiday chats.
2: Oh, okay. I'm just trying oh, well, to got... in
1: interview questions, you know. Oh, like...
2: I got questions of my own.
1: Okay. You want to know what his favorite incarnation of Eddie, the mascot from Iron Maiden, is? Because I'm going to tell you, it's probably Seventh Son.
2: Wow. Well, that's a ridiculous
1: opinion. But What? The Egyptian <laughs> stylized Eddie is not the coolest one? No. Oh, you're You're wild. I mean, it's cool, but it's not the coolest one. You're going to say, like, power slave or something? or
2: Yeah, trooper, Eddie.
1: Trooper, okay, all right. Trooper's cool.
2: Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, you got some
4: nerd news? Anybody? Uh, I got a little. I got a little something for you guys. Drop it on us, homegirl. Okay. It turns out, Thor uh, Birch, who was previously signed to do Tim Burton's new live action show about Wednesday. Adams uh, has quit the show. The show is been, has been called a spooky coming of age story. Eight episodes were going to be ordered by Netflix. uh, But Thor Birch has dropped out. Uh, No word on who she was going to be playing. Um, She, Oh, she was playing Tamara Novak Wednesday's dorm mother. And the hmm. only normie oh, on st- <laughs> the only normie on staff at Nevermore Academy. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. No wonder she quit. Why? W- why on earth do you cast Thora Birch as a normie? Of course. All right, this makes no sense. Um, let's see. The show's cast now will include Ricky Lindholm, who is very cool, and a bunch of dorks I've never heard of. Um,
2: Catherine Zeta Jones is Morticia, apparently.
4: Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see where that is. Yeah. Well, that's okay, I guess. Um, yeah. Hmm. Let's see. Jenna Ortega is Wednesday Adams. She's in stuff that I like, but I don't know who she is. Oh, she's that girl. She's all right.
2: She's cool. She's the heir to the uh, Ortega taco, um, <laughs> um, you know, franchise.
4: How are you pulling my leg here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well <laughs> she was in Babysitter Part 2, which I thought was a fun movie. So, I don't know. This sounds crazy to me. Are you guys like what do you guys think about this? Are you going to be watching this? I know Sean, you're a big Adams Family's man. Yeah. Um how do you feel about all of this?
1: I love the Adams Family, you know. I I love those um old-timey um, you know, uh, New Yorker cartoons and um, you know, I, you know, obviously love the Barry Sonnenfeld movies like the TV show all right you know what limited amount of it I've seen still have not seen the cartoons and I'm interested in this I, I don't know I'm maintaining an open mind on this I hope it's good. Um, I was a little bit surprised to hear that Thora Birch was even still acting because I thought that she had moved on to her new career um, selling soda pops trying to compete with uh, the you know the insane clown posse she had that line of Thora Birch beers get out of here with that talk that's terrible (laughs) (laughs) but seriously has she been working lately i feel like it's been a
2: while right she was in the walking dead okay yeah but i know you don't keep up with that
4: show yeah 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 i thought that she like actually like literally retired a while back so i'm very surprised to learn she was on the walking dead that feels like the kind of news I would know as a man who likes zombies and a man who has been in love with Thor Birch
1: for a long time. I feel like that should be on my radar. But we haven't nothing. seen we haven't seen any like set photos or any kind of concept art or anything like that yet for this, have we?
4: I don't think so. But it being from Tim Burton, I mean, you can just take a guess. Yeah, so, <laughs> I think you know what it's going to look like.
1: Well, I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, and that's not a bad thing, right?
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, yes, in my opinion, it is. I mean, Tim Burton. Tim Burton is exactly like Weezer. Like, what the <laughs> fuck happened? Like, everything oh. sucks past two thousand. Like, what did what happened to you? I think
4: you would be like, being generous. I think maybe you mean nineteen ninety four. Well,
1: when Mars is Attacks Mars attack? Mars
4: ninety six. So
1: okay. that's like the last good thing that he did. Sleepy Hollow was okay, right? It's not bad. I don't hate Sleepy Hollow.
2: Yeah, but then you just get this run of shit, Planet of the Apes, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Sweeney Todd, and Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, fucking Dumbo, like, get real, dude. You gotta maybe. You gotta hit me, with, hit me with some shit before I watch your stupid Wednesday show.
1: <laughs> but maybe this is the project that we need to kind of reset him back to his roots. I mean, I, I feel like his early stuff is very Adam's Family-ish, right?
2: I guess, I guess. but I mean... I, one of the things I liked about, you know, Tim Burton is is his you know original stuff like Beetlejuice and Edward Penis Hands and you know I mean I guess he's always been doing you know license stuff like the Batman's and your Mars Attacks and stuff but it seems like that's all he does now is just I don't know stupid Disney shit but anyway I get I don't know I this is not. This is not of interest to me.
4: He did a nineteen eighty-six episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. That seems like the kind of thing we should be talking about on the show at some point.
1: Yeah, that sounds kind yeah. of interesting. I'll check
4: that out. Starring Paul Bartell and written by Ray Bradbury? What? Ooh. What? Yeah. And starring Griffin Dunn? This is <laughs> this sounds amazing. What the fuck? We'll check it out. All right. Putting that on the watch list.
2: But yeah, especially now that Thor Birch is out of the mix. That was the only reason I was even interested in watching this thing.
4: Yeah. I'm out. Although, uh, Tim Burton is directing all eight episodes, which I think is an interesting sign. It's not just like some bullshit he slopped slopped together and then had an intern direct. It's something he cares about. Yeah. All right. We'll see how it goes. We'll see.
1: Well, I got some nerd news, and I guess let me start this off with a question. Do you guys know Carla Hayden?
2: Not that I'm aware of. Mm -mm.
1: Well, she's our current Librarian of Congress, and she has announced today um, that 25 influential motion pictures have been uh, selected for induction to the National Film Registry uh, of the Library of Congress, uh, I'm not going to read all 25. The list is out there, uh, but it does cross a pretty wide range of genres and uh, film styles and formats and, and decades. You know, they they span all the way from this Ringling Brothers parade film in 1902, uh, all the way up to Wall-E in 2008. And there are some JFD um, adjacent films in here, or even a few that. Uh, we've talked about directly on the show um, Hitchcock's *Strangers on a Train* from '51s on the list. Uh, *Pink Flamingos* I was surprised to see get oh, inducted wow. into the National Film Registry.
2: Not, uh, not to mention that it has fucking oral sex in it
1: and shit eating. So yeah. that's the, those frames of shit eating and probably the bootleg original soundtrack are all you know preserved at, at a negative level now by the Library of Congress, and, and that's good news for everybody. Uh, the Long Goodbye, uh, Cooley High, I thought was a cool huh. pick. Uh, and also the Richard Pryor live-in-concert film from 79. Uh, yeah. A Nightmare on Elm Street from yeah. 84 got inducted this year. So that's exciting. for. Yeah,
2: well, welcome to primetime, bitch.
1: Yeah, for Freddy Files out there. Yeah. Um, Return of the Jedi got inducted. Kind of surprised it took that long, to be honest. Although, fair enough, it is the worst Star Wars movie uh, of the originals, and Stop Making Sense, um, among many others. So oh, wow. um, pretty interesting list. Uh, did you guys have a chance to see this? Um, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, honestly, any film gets preserved. That's good news. Even if it's a movie that I don't care about, it's like, all right, sure, yeah, let's open up. I don't mind paying a little bit of tax to uh, you know, open up the archive and preserve these movies. So uh, I'm down with all this. But did you guys see any surprises or anything like that? No, I mean, honestly,
2: kind of. What what does this mean when something's in the, you know, national film registry? I mean, what what exactly does that mean? Like they
4: they take a print of the film and store it away in a vault. I think so. Yeah, I think they put it in like a nuclear bunker sort of a thing.
1: But but not a print though. I, I think that they do maintain possession of the best original elements and they'll archive that in in their state-of-the-art facility. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a good thing. And I would imagine it would also pay for, like, 4K restorations of films that don't yet have them. So something like A Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm sure there's a great copy of that. Obviously, Return of the Jedi. But some of these, you know, especially the earlier films, probably don't have any restorations available, so hopefully this will pay for that. I think that's their intent. Now, right. with, with Return of the Jedi, do you think that they have the original
4: original, or do you think that they have the one with Hayden Christensen in it?
1: I think they have the original original, and I think that's why I'm going to be knocking on the doors of the Library of Congress in, in the coming months and <laughs> saying, hey, let me rent this, you know? I've <laughs> got, got a projector, you know? I'll, I'll just play this on my uh, hotel room wall.
2: <laughs> well, I did want to bring up one Blu-ray. It's not in the National Film Registry, but you can add it to your film registry this week, thanks to the Fine folks at Arrow video. And that is a movie that you guys covered on the show on a week that I was out, and still haunts me to this day because I love this movie, and I really wanted to talk about it. Um, so now I'm going to talk about it just a little bit, and that is My Stepmother is an Alien from 1988. Uh, oh. This is a movie that stars Dan Aykroyd, Kim Basinger, um, about a hot chick that comes down from space to marry uh dan Aykroyd and learn about human culture um i loved this movie as a kid i've watched it over and over and over again i mean mostly i think i just had a crush on kim basinger and i don't think even uh to this day i don't know if she's ever been hotter than she is in this movie ba boom that's what i was saying and uh yeah i uh it's cool that arrow put this that doesn't seem kind of like the stuff that they would normally put out but um, I'm excited that they did because they do good work, and uh, I will I will definitely probably be picking this up and adding this to my collection. But yeah, you guys like my stepmother's in an alien?
4: This is that Dan Aykroyd movie. Yeah, I remember liking a little bit of it. I don't. I wasn't over the moon for it, but I I found it enjoyable.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. I, I think of Damn. the the parental alien films. I think. Um, what is it? Mom and Dad save the universe, or whatever
2: the yeah. fuck that. that I don't awesome like that one.
1: Dad better. save the world. Yeah, save the. No, world. that's yeah. ridiculous. I, think I like that better. Mm, yeah.
2: um. Okay. Well, I I say give it a watch, especially if you have like the Arrow streaming channel. I'm sure this will pop up on there soon. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I think it's funny, and uh, yeah, Kim Basinger looking good, being an alien. Um, but yeah. I think that just about wraps it up. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into our festive Christmas gear and talk about our first Christmas short of the evening. And that is The Glow Friends Save Christmas from 1985. So stick around.
1: If you aren't a junk food dinner, Patreon pal, here's a taste of what you've been missing out on, son. No, dude, I fucking love Saludos Amigos. That's (laughs) one of my favorites. That end of three Caballeras, you son of a bitch.
2: Yeah, I remember one time I found a severed hand in my street, everyone just kind of crowded around, started pushing each other, and like, hey, hey, hey.
1: I guess it would probably be like junior high school photos of me um, rocking the vanilla ice flat top uh, with a button-your-fly Levi's t-shirt and (laughs) overalls with one suspender (laughs) down. Of course, why would you do the other one?
4: One time I went on a vacation to St. Louis with some girl, and then we broke up like three weeks later, and Missouri never even reimbursed me for the trip. (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah holy shit
4: there's a ripley's believe it or not museum though (laughs) if you're into like looking at goofy ass mannequins of really tall dudes who've been dead for a long time
1: if this is nailed into the ground i'm gonna look like the biggest idiot (laughs) trying to pull this out of the ground and then like before i could even complete that thought i'm like oh i guess it wasn't nailed into the ground because it's already in my hands and then before i can complete that thought it's already being thrown at the car
4: i will only choose Corey Feldman movies on the show if Sean Byron says it's okay to do so. I don't want to make you <laughs> <him> any more mad. <laughs> Hi, Corey.
0: So go to patreon.com slash junk food dinner and donate a couple of bucks so you
3: can get a lot more JFD in your life and in your heart.
5: The Glow Friends Save Christmas. Dear Glow Friends, and everyone we know is so full of joy. Starring Carol O'Connor as Santa Claus, and Sally Struthers as the Wicked Witch. Say goodbye to Christmas, I'm blowing it up! What will happen? Find out in The Glow Friends Save Christmas.
0: Today at 11 on TV 44.
2: Welcome back to Junk Food Dinner. The first holiday-themed short subject film we will be taking a look at this week is The Glow Friends Save Christmas from 1985. Uh, This is a TV movie that I wanted to talk about purely for selfish, nostalgic reasons. And that is because growing up as a kid, I had a tape uh, that was taped off TV that had this and the He-Man christmas special on it and it was uh, something of a tradition every christmas season we'd bust out the tape we'd watch this in the he-man christmas special neither one really holiday classics by any sense of the imagination um but they are to me god damn it and i wanted to talk about this one i think a lot of people have talked about the halloween or the He-Man christmas special before it's gotten its day in the sun but i feel like less people know about the glow friends save christmas uh or even the remember the glow friends at all um as they were a popular toy line but not as popular as something like masters of the universe so just a brief history for those of you that were not children in the 1980s like we were but there was a product that was released by playschool called glowworm that was like a stuffed it was it was essentially it was a great idea it was a toy that your kid would sleep with and it had this stuffed worm-like body and then like a hard plastic head with a light in it so when you squeeze the glowworm its head would light up and you know kids like to sleep with a night light or like have something that can light up so this glowworm, Hugely popular for Hasbro, so much in fact that um, four years later, after selling like hotcakes, they introduced the Glow Friends, which were uh, little hard plastic action figures of various bugs uh, like the glow worm, but they were not, you know, uh, plush toys to be slept with. These are more kind of like hard plastic toys, you know, kind of along the lines of action figures. And they were all different kinds of insects, you know, there were snails and. Bugs and uh, spiders and crickets and um, as well as you know your your standard glowworms as well were in there, but uh, they the, their gimmick was that they uh, they were made out of a, a plastic that, that glows in the dark. So you know you'd have these glow friends and they would glow in the dark in your room. They were very popular. Um, they even I, I think they really exploded in popularity when Wendy's put them in the uh, in their kids meals in. In 1989 that's when i remember kids really going nuts on the glow friends but this glow friends christmas special i believe was their first this was like their introduction to, the to yeah. the glow friends world and they would later become an animated series um that was kind of short-lived but this one uh this was a half hour christmas special um that introduced the glow friends to the world and shows them on an adventure to save christmas it features uh two guest stars from all in the family for some reason you got carol o'connor aka archie bunker providing the voice of santa claus and sally struthers providing the voice of blanche the evil north witch of the north pole uh that's hell-bent on uh, you know destroying christmas for vague reasons i guess she just she sings a song about it but i still don't really understand her
1: motivation I guess she she's just wants like, to be, She's kind of a Grinch, basically.
2: She's a know? Grinch, but I, she also wants to be famous, and I guess she thinks canceling Christmas will make her famous. Anyway, she is uh, an interesting character because, you know, she's not super witch. I mean, she's witch-like, but she just kind of looks like an old homeless lady. Um, her main characteristic is that she's got a like mink scarf that's still alive, and uh, voiced by Charlie Adler, who's. You probably recognize he does a lot of cartoon voices, but uh, every once in a while, her her scarf will come to life and make a you know make a a rude comment or a, a funny pun. Um, she's also team teams up with uh, a clumsy moose, simply named Moose, uh, who's voiced by Lorenzo Music, who you'll know immediately. It's the voice of Garfield and Peter Venkman on the real Ghostbusters, but he was a moose that. Uh, he wanted to, to, you know, ride with Santa's sleigh, but Santa told him he was too clumsy. Uh, so he teamed up with this witch, but he's kind of apprehensive about it because he doesn't like the idea of this witch trying to steal Christmas. And so eventually he uh, he sees the error of his ways and, and joins with the glow worms to help them save Christmas after uh, Blanche, the evil North Pole witch, has trapped Santa in a cage of ice. Because I guess she also has ice powers where she can make ice form at will and like i said it's up to the glowworms and this clumsy moose to save santa claus and and thereby save christmas um this was from the animation uh company sunbow productions who uh, up until this, had done things like Transformers and GI Joe and Gem and the Holograms. Uh, it's also a, a Marvel co-production, so Glowworm is technically part of the Marvel universe. Blanche will be played by um, Thora Birch in an upcoming movie. Uh, mark my words. Uh, but yeah, this was uh, I, the animation was you know it's not great. But for '85 and for TV, it's better than a lot of the stuff, especially stuff like that came out from Hanna Barbera and Filmation. It actually, had some some pretty quality animation to it. Um, but again, nothing nothing special. Uh, this is a kids thing. I mean, to be completely honest, if you don't have nostalgia for the glowworms or Glow Friends or uh, just early '80s. Uh, childhood things because you weren't a child of the early 1980s this probably won't really mean much to you it'll probably be just like any other stupid kids thing but you know as we've talked about you know the things that you are particularly nostalgic about um you know they hit in a different way than uh than some of these other things but i don't know i have nostalgia for this because like i said i watched this uh for many years um as a kid growing up because we had it on on tape uh this never well this did get a vhs uh release back in the day but it's obviously well out of print and uh it never got released on dvd or anything so but it is out there it's on youtube um and you can find it pretty easily but uh what did your guys experience with the glow worms or glow friends did you uh, did you own these toys as kids i thought they were really cool and they were one of the few toys that was kind of like gender neutral they weren't necessarily for boys or girls i mean obviously they're for real pretty young kids i mean by the time you're you know six or seven you've already graduated to he-man or ninja turtles but i thought for little kids toys they actually were pretty cool but what did you think about glow worms and glow friends and the glow friends save christmas
1: yeah i'm I'm pretty sure that i did have a glow worm uh as a young kid probably in my crib you know like Mm -hmm. you said yeah they're Um, baby toys yeah, and, and, you know, I I, don't, I can't tell you really my critical assessment of, of that toy, you know, that I had when I was two years old or whatever. Uh, but I will say that it's certainly like an iconic toy of the era, and it's, you know, a very memorable design. You know, you see it, and right away I think it'll evoke memories.
2: Yeah, and uh, you were one of the few kids. Uh, apparently the plastic head was softened with a chemical called uh, fatalate's. Which uh, can be
1: harmful to children.
2: If well, they can they late. can
1: be fatal. It's right there in the name. Yeah, they should have so, known.
2: So uh, apparently, there is some kids out there with brain damage from licking their glowworms when they're kids. So
1: well, it could explain they some things about fond- me.
2: Yeah, they might not have the fondest memories of the glow glowworm.
1: I and and you know, in fact, I have almost no memories of the glow friends. I, I think that I, you know, I think I knew that this existed. Maybe I might have come across the cartoon once or twice or something as a young kid, but uh, it was not something that I really followed up on or had thought about at all, you know, until you picked this for the show. Um, But, you know, I I was interested, you know, I'm I'm always down for some old school, you know, kiddie kind of stuff. And, you know, looking at this voice cast, I I was kind of hyped on it. You know, like you mentioned, Sally Struthers and Carol O'Connor, but also... Uh, veteran voice actors like Frank Welker and Pat Fraley, um, Char- Charlie Adler, like you mentioned. And, I, you know, I was thinking that you had some kind of personal connection to this and, and that it might be fun. Um, so I guess, you know, I'll start off with with what I liked about this. You know, I, I liked that witch lady, Blanche. I thought she was cool. Uh, I thought, you know, having the live mink on her coat was kind of a funny little gag. Um You know, kind of, you know, and it it kind of fulfills the role of like Gilbert Gottfried in Aladdin, you know, where it's the mink is always reacting to what she says and it's kind of like skeptical of what she says. And that's kind of a funny gag. Um, Her song, which I think is called Say Goodbye to Christmas, is probably the best song in this. It it feels like it's a song cut out of like the Grinch movie, but it's it's kind of fun and, and she brings her all to it. Um, I always like a cartoon moose. You know, maybe it's because I grew up watching Bullwinkle, but I always love a cartoon moose. And I think her moose friend is kind of cool. You know, he, he's voiced by Lorenzo Music, and that's that's great. He is he's kind, kind of. of... I ahead. think we we're about to
2: say the same thing. He's kind of Joe Camel Uh
1: I was going to say he's kind of generic looking, oh. <laughs> but but it's true. Yeah, he is kind of Joe Camel esque now that you mention it. Um, I I feel like they could have maybe done a little more with that Moose design to bring some kind of character to it, or even just given him a name other than Moose would would have been (laughs) nice. Um, And I also like that this, you know, as you mentioned, it doesn't look bad. I I wouldn't say that this is an incredible looking piece of animation. You know, it's not up to the level of like a classic Looney Tunes theatrical short. Uh, It's not up to the level of like a Japanese feature film from this time period. But compared to TV animation of 1985, actually, this is pretty good. And I think that's probably less to do with the involvement of Sunbo, who, as you mentioned, was kind of like Hasbro's animation wing, um, and more to do with the involvement of Toei. Uh, The Toei Animation Corporation was involved in co-producing this. And and I think you can kind of sense some of that Japanese style in this. Um, Unfortunately, I, I think that's about all that I did like about this um it's just for the most part it's it's a pretty generic story there's not really many jokes in this it it is aimed at babies and and the songs in this overall were just not that great and i i think that is one thing that could have turned this in a different direction is if it had like good songs that were either catchy or funny or had some kind of a hook to them But they don't. They just have these very generic Christmas songs, you know, that are sung by like these large choruses of children where you can't really make out what they're even singing and kind of evoke like it's a small world in that sense of being like really repetitive and kind of annoying Um, And also these Glow Friends kind of gave me like a mild Oogie Loves vibe, (laughs) which is not really a vibe that I want to have around the holidays. Um, My wife pointed out something that I thought was kind of insightful almost immediately upon me playing this, which was she just kind of walked in the room and and looked at the screen and she's like, Glow Bugs don't hang out in the wintertime. And I was like, fair enough. Good point. She she nailed it. Um, And I guess I could suspend my disbelief on that if, You know, uh, fun things happened in this, but I don't know, it didn't really deliver on that. So I will say, you know, I had never seen this and the number of unseen 1980s Christmas cartoons for me is getting pretty small, I think. So, uh, you know, in that sense, I am glad to have this crossed off my list You know, I'm I'm glad that I didn't have to resort to watching the Pac-Man Christmas Comes to Pac-Land special (laughs) yet again this year.
2: Well, Um, it's coming one Christmas.
1: I'm sure it will. Um, But there were fun things in this. I I mean, I didn't hate it. Uh, It was just kind of a little boring and and nothing special, like you mentioned. Um, I had a question for you guys, though. I, I noticed in this that Santa Claus has a bunch of bells on his hat. His hat's a in with, with all these bells on it. Is that a thing that Santas do? I, I don't remember Santa having all these bells on his hat before.
2: I remember, he, I mean, he has bells. Bells palsy. <laughs> <laughs> he has some Richard Belzer CDs in his collection. <laughs> bells pepper. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, sometimes, I mean, sometimes he's he's portrayed with some bells. So it's not that uncommon. What what tripped me out is that he's got pointed ears in this as
1: well. Oh, so he's elven, I guess, is the suggestion there. Yeah. It, he's it, it an elf himself. Like a weirdly translated like Korean animation studio doing a, a Santa Claus. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Well, and yeah.
2: the, there's also, like when they're introducing the elves at the beginning, like one's clearly a leprechaun. <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> yeah. there was maybe a little... lot. <laughs> You know it's something
1: lost
2: like over, awesome. yeah. They're like leprechauns an elf, right? Same diff.
4: Yeah, yeah just, I noticed that leprechaun, and like he's very clearly a leprechaun. Like he's got red hair, he's got a four leaf clover on his hat. And then when I looked this up to see that yeah, Toei had a hand in it, I was like, this has to be some sort of weird translation problem. Where yeah, like you said, like it's just someone being like, well, elves is elves, right? Leprechauns got to be elves. Because it is jarring to see a leprechaun helping Santa gather presents for for Christmas. Well,
1: you know what? It's it's there was an elf labor shortage, I guess. You know they had to broaden their horizons. Well, but yeah, that's a good point. Th- th- this was okay. I don't know. I, don't go out of your way to watch this. Is, is my recommend.
4: Yeah, I did not remember that there were glow friends. I remember the glow worms, and it's a beautiful idea. If you got a little kid and they. Or maybe afraid of the dark, give them a stuffed animal that glows and like perfect. Like that's such a great idea. Um and yeah, I don't remember this cartoon. I don't remember the show. I don't remember the friends necessarily. Although looking at the toys, I remember a few of them. Um, like the snail I remember. Like I feel like, you know, when we were playing toys and stuff when I was a young man, like We probably just had these around either because of Wendy's, like you said, or maybe, you know, somebody's grandma got them a bunch of them or whatever. And, you know, I remember them kind of being a part of what we were doing. Like we'd have our Ninja Turtles or G.I. Joes and like every once in a while, like they'd have to go see like the village elder. And it was always like a glow worm or something, you know, like we've got to go see the shaman and it would be a glow worm. And like I said,
2: these these were marketed towards much younger kids. So. Yeah, by the time you were playing with them they would probably, you know, you had them when you were younger and forgot about them and now they're just yeah, mixed in with everything else.
1: Yeah. Or it's that that kind of a thing where like families are passing down toys of like, ah, oh, my my kids grew up, so you know, you you know, I, I think a lot of my cousins, you know, who were older like their toys would somehow make their way to my house, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah.
4: Yeah, so you would get left with like a lot of toys like this and like you know, like, your Ninja Turtles would have to party up with, like, a My Little Pony from time to time. So, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, how do we get to the base? We'll ride these horses, you know, sort of a thing. So uh, that's kind of how I remember these guys. I I didn't know this existed, but I was excited to watch it because I, I like this kind of stuff. Uh, being, a, you know, one of the, the young Gen Xers, this is up my alley to watch. Um, <laughs> And I like the bad guy. The bad guy looks like Phyllis Diller, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you think Um, they they modeled it after Phyllis? I think so. I mean, it's a little too uncanny otherwise. Yeah. Um, This movie, as a kid,
2: watching it so much as a kid, it gave me a a fear of women named Blanche.
4: (laughs) I think that's fair. (laughs) They're always up to no good,
2: those Blanches. I know. I can't trust a name like that. It just has, like, it's got that hard anch to it like it's just it's a bad sounding name
4: yeah like tarantulas right
1: yeah yeah like ranch Uh, dressing that everybody out here is obsessed with
4: i hate that crap uh at one point you can tell she's really scary because she says you know santa's like why are you doing this to me you know i'm just a santa and she's like this is just the beginning uh next is easter and mother's day so is her plan to kidnap all the moms and then murder them (laughs) <laughs> i think that's the implication yeah my god she's a villain i'm glad the glowworm stopped her plan um the the songs in this are really bad so that really takes the wind out of your sails like it it's kind of a bummer that like this is only like 22 minutes long and it didn't have enough story so they had to put in four really bad songs and that's that's a bad sign uh three or four songs um and yeah i don't know it's you know the the glowworms kind of need more character like none of them really stuck out you know like you've got your papa smurf and your brainy smurf and everybody like this and this is just like they're all just glow worms you know Yeah. and yeah if they would have tried a little bit with that i think that this kind of would have been funner but it's just kind of you know like sean said it's kind of just like a nothing of a thing um
2: <laughs> yeah but i think I, they, just, I think they flesh out their characters a little bit more in the series you know, and by flesh out, I mean, like, one's dumb, one's dumber, <laughs> yeah. you know.
3: Yeah,
4: the, uh, the the YouTube video I watched this on had the special and then, like, the first, like, segment of one of the episodes of the show. And it seemed a little bit more in-depth. Like, they have bad, like, they had, I forget what they're called. They're called, like, mole or something. <laughs> like, they got, like, these evil mole men who
1: hunt them. So it seems a little bit more... Like a real show. Um, Well, later in the series, um, the worms actually start wrestling ladies, which is probably my favorite (laughs) run of it. (laughs) I really enjoyed that part.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. This is okay. Like if you, you know, if you're our age, you probably want to check this out, but probably not otherwise. Yeah. And it's it's
2: G.L.O. No W. For whatever reason, the glow worm, the glow friends didn't have time for that W who does Yeah, but yeah like I, like I said yeah if you're not a child or weren't a child in the 1980s you probably have no interest in this but if you want a little bit of a nostalgic uh, Christmas special and you've already watched the he special and all the other ones from the 80s a million times over why don't you check out the Glow Friends Christmas special you get to hear Sally Struthers sing about uh, wanting to murder Santa Claus it's you know it warms the heart just like the glow worms can warm your stall. Uh, but that just about wraps it up for the Glow Friends Save Christmas. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into the Siskel and Ebert 1987 holiday gift guide. So stick around. You're
0: probably getting pretty bored of the internet. Do you want to start using the web for something other than just gifts of Lady Gaga's butt? Then check out JunkFoodDinner.com. You'll find our episode archive equaling hundreds of hours of shows. We also have nerd news, movie trailers, film reviews, links to all our friends, and of course, gifts of Lady Gaga's but
3: Junkfooddinner.com. What is good
0: about it? Internet is uh, becoming really big now.
3: I so know you heard this, you probably heard the ken shit You know your girl when we had to remix this A lot of bitches ain't gon' live to see Christmas Got my fifth for my hips, I keep
0: it gully I
3: know you heard this, you probably heard that fifth shit You know your boy Pap had to remix this A lot of niggas ain't gon' live to see Christmas But we could get our jokes on on some quick shit Now let a blood be a blood, let it crip, crip You know I rep the dug a dug, a, dug a, click sit Down on the stoop, I be shining up my biscuit. I see through these little rappers; they some bitches. I'm pissed off, man. I really wanna stick this. We spot, but don't wanna leave a witness. Man, I got heat, she got heat. We be letting off. I put my hammer in your face, I'm like, take it off, man. I don't play, pull my knife, get your wig split. I like to eat these niggas food, it's delicious. All that tough guy talk, you get hit quick. My tech now, my Mac, my Ruger, get hit, my fifth spit. I keep it tall when it's boy, use a midget. Let up the fo-fo, then I gotta hit the dough. Who's that? Man, it's boost and reminisce All you coward niggas better cancel Christmas I know you heard this shit, probably heard the Kim shit You know the girl when we had to remix this A lot of bitches ain't going to see Christmas Got my fit for my hips, I keep it gully I know you heard this, you probably heard that fifth shit You know your boy Pat had to remix this A lot of niggas ain't gonna live to see Christmas But we could get our jokes on on some Just in time for the holidays, it's the second annual Siskel and Ebert Holiday Video Gift Guide you don't need this game
0: Tonight at 10 on Channel 13 It's back, Siskel and Ebert's Holiday Video Gift Guide with Gene and Roger showing you the newest in electronics,
2: toys and games, plus the latest home videos, and lots of movie gift ideas for the holiday season.
1: All right, welcome back to Junk Food Dinner, the next uh, holiday short something uh, on the show tonight. It's going to be Siskel and Ebert's 1987 Holiday Gift Guide. Um, and I feel like, you know, we have talked a lot about Siskel and Ebert kind of offhand here on the show. But, you know, we have never done... You know, a review of any of their stuff directly, you know, except uh, did we do Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which Ebert wrote?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did.
1: Well, so other than that, you know, we haven't really tackled their um, amazing library of content. And to be honest, I mean, most of their show obviously is not really worth reviewing. Most of it's just you guys sitting on a couch and talking about <laughs> movies that they saw.
2: Yeah, reviewing the review
1: Yeah, but a few times a year, they would do some sort of a special. Unfortunately, most of these, you know, like their annual best of or worst of the year shows, are also just dudes sitting down on a couch talking about movies they saw. Um, They also have their annual Oscar specials that they would do, where they would stand at a podium and talk about movies that they saw. Uh, But one episode that they would do for a while, uh, I guess from 1987 through 1993, Um, that was a bit different is the holiday gift guide, uh, which is what we're talking about this, this year on the show. Um, You know, and it's one of those things where I feel like getting to see them off the couch and, you know, in these different situations, you know, is a joy, you know, similar to how, you know, uh, I always enjoyed seeing them on Letterman or uh, on the Stern show. Uh, It's fun to see this duo kind of out of their element and, and riffing on each other. Um, So yeah, let's, let's talk about what's in this special. Um, I watched this via uh, a YouTube copy that is missing the first couple of minutes, I guess, but, uh, I don't think we missed much. Uh, there's also some weird video glitches in the copy that we watched that kind of makes you feel like you're having a seizure, uh, but kind of in a fun way, I guess. Um, so it starts off with, um, their toy recommendations for the year. So, um, Gene Siskel is showing off this classic television toy called Winky Dink that I guess is from like the early days of TV, maybe from the 50s or something that they did kind of like a retro throwback edition of uh, in 87, where it's like this cling vinyl thing, like a clear piece of vinyl that you put on your television screen so that you can write on it with a magic marker. Uh, It's pretty lame looking, to be (laughs) honest with you. Um, but Roger Ebert shows up, Siskel's grandpa choice, with a high-tech video game uh, recreation of Etch-A-Sketch that's called Video Art, um, and it's like this hilariously low pixel, even for 1987, and f- looks like in, like intensely frustrating to control uh, kind of a thing where you got this joystick and you're trying to do like an Etch-A-Sketch, Etch-a-Sketch kind of drawing, but... Uh, these guys are struggling to, uh, to render anything with this, you know? And so you get to see (laughs) them kind of, uh, messing around with that, which is fun.
2: Well, not only that, it's from LJN.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that the video game manufacturer who I think did like the Indiana Jones game for Nintendo and stuff like that. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did pretty much
4: everything that was a movie tie in. They did all the wrestling games, like all the shittiest games that made you break your controllers. They made them.
1: Yeah, it's, it, looks, it looks awful, but it's fun to see them play around with it. Um, next up, the cool guy, Roger Ebert, shows off his music video collection, um, <clears throat> including the VHS for Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet, <laughs> which I owned as a kid. I probably got it for Christmas this year. Maybe my parents were watching this very special. Um, but I did own this, and um, I got to agree with Ebert's review. His review on it is... The movie's good. The angles are cliched, though. That's what he says about it. Um, Then the square as hell, Gene pitches how-to videos as the only gift that you'll need this season, including Christy Brinkley's how to put on makeup video, which he seriously (laughs) tries to pitch in a hilarious little segment. Also, there's like a Wolfgang Puck cooking video in which uh, Siskel earnestly advises you not to try to cook chicken when, and this is a quote, he says, when chicken is not in season. (laughs) It's clearly not a gourmand.
2: This is the point where I started to question the credibility of this, in terms of, like, are these things that Siskel and Ebert genuinely recommend? Because, you know, as critics, they should be things that they endorse, but I suspect that, and, and which is you know should be you know patently obvious that this is just you know they had advertisers that wanted to sell their product and they said oh. you have to talk about these things
1: because why else there's a little payola scheme going on here
2: Absolutely why else would fucking mm-hmm. Gene Siskel even watch a Christie Brinkley makeup tutorial
1: So you don't think he was being fully honest with the audience when he recommends Larry Hagman's stop smoking video which he calls quite <laughs> impressive No, this is 100% an infomercial. It's it's funny, though. It's very weird. Like, it's surreal to see him selling, especially that makeup video. It's such a weird pitch. Um, Then they pitch a couple of um, feature films each on videotape that they want to recommend that you buy. Nothing too surprising there. Uh, But the segment after that is kind of fun. It's the gizmos segment. As Roger says, they're reviewing the latest electronic gizmos to turn your living room into a video command center. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? So they move over to this little like electronic store set that they've built, and they show off some inventions. Uh, Siskel's got this hilarious VCR like barcode reading remote control kind of a system where like you point your remote <laughs> control at like this list of barcodes that indi- indicates like a time and a date.
2: Not even your remote control, a special UPC scanner.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it looks like the kind of UPC scanner that somebody at Target would be like, you know, scanning your t shirt with or whatever that you're buying. And yeah, it's just this really convoluted mess of a system that allows you to pre record, you know, to set your timer on your VCR, a function that your VCR already has, but I guess uh, he couldn't figure out the remote control for his VCR, so. Uh, he's recommending this bizarre system. But Ebert, you know, ups the ante with a Super VHS VCR. You know, he's loving the picture quality on this thing, uh, even though it retails for 1200 bucks. which I, I did the math, and with inflation, that's 3000 bucks today for one of these Super v- VHS players.
2: And did you know a single person that had a Super VHS player? No, not in my like, life. Yeah, I knew like <laughs> one or two people that had like Laserdisc players, you know? Yeah, But, like, I never knew anybody that had Super VHS. Never even saw a Super VHS tape on a shelf anywhere.
1: I don't think I knew that it was a thing until, like, 2005 or something. Like, like after it was was well over, you know, on Wikipedia or something, I think I learned about it. I was like, oh, that's weird. Um, He also shows off a Laserdisc player, uh, which I think he calls Laser Vision, which I I guess was an alternate name for it back then. Uh, But the next up is the... when he talks about
4: the Laserdisc player, he talks about it like exactly the way that Mark does in SLC Punk. He's like,
1: there's a movie on there." So. <laughs> 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 yeah. And then he talks about Ronald Reagan's nuts being amputated, which is kind of surprising. <laughs> uh, but then they go into my favorite segment, which is they show off this Fisher Price Pixel Vision Pixel 2000 camera, uh, which was this lo-fi camera from the time. Uh, that would record, you know, these really muddy-looking black and white images uh, <laughs> onto audio cassettes. You know, yeah. not even a not a videotape, but a, just a regular audio cassette. And uh, they end up using them to create their own little one-minute shorts. They each direct a, a little short film, and they show you those, and they they react to them and kind of riff on each other. Uh, and I thought I thought this is a really fun segment. And you you might also remember this camera. Um, from when Richard Linklater ripped off Siskel and Ebert a few years after this, he <laughs> shot part of Slacker with one, undoubtedly influenced by these great two short films created here. Um, and good news for you, Bowman, if you have not already, uh, I'm, I'm pleased to uh, reveal that you can log both of these short films on Letterboxd, so that should be exciting for you. I I did. Can you guess what I what ratings I gave them? What star ratings? Well, I gave them five and four and a half stars, um, so I'm going to guess probably in the same ballpark. <laughs> yep, you got it right, five and uh, four and great. a half. Great. Uh, I don't even need to follow you on Letterboxd, <laughs> turns out. <laughs> uh, I. Well, yeah, all right, yeah, that's what I gave them. I, I, I love to believe it. Um, <laughs> I don't want to break your heart. I'm going to hold that in my heart. Um, so then it's kind of nearing the end here. You know, they break out some video games. They test drive the brand new Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, they For a minute, they're bemoaning the fact that toys don't cost $1 anymore like they mm. used to when they were kids, which is <laughs> the most fun grandpa moment of all time. Uh, It turns out that Roger Ebert sucks at Duck Hunt. He is an awful (laughs) Duck Hunt player. Uh, But Siskel's pretty dang good because, as he says, he went to military school, something I didn't know about him. Um, Then they review the 3D glasses add-on for the Sega Master System, which is honestly something that I never expected I would see Siskel and Ebert doing. Um, And I I never had that 3D glasses um, add-on. I did have a Sega Master System as a kid and really loved it. I thought it was a fun system. You know, I liked those Alex kid games and that first fantasy star. Um, but Rambo. Never, yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but, but I never, uh, never got these glasses and, and, you know, I'm hoping that they didn't make too many 3d games for these glasses because I'm kind of, you know, telling myself that that is the case. And that's really the only way that I'm able to overcome <laughs> my sense of jealousy that I had when I was watching these guys, Dicking around with a 3D image on their master system. Um, after that, you know they they recommend some weird looking videotapes that are geared towards kids. They even do a little slam section where they run down how much they hate the new Teddy Ruxpin and Barbie <laughs> cartoons. Um, they show off this weird <clears throat> this weird video profile of the young Mackenzie Astin, son of uh, actor John Astin. Uh, I guess he was on some TV show at the time, but it's. Almost looks at looks like that Corey Haim "Me, Myself and I" video. Yeah, it if was future weird to hang out. future
2: star of "Garbage Pail Kids" the movie.
1: Oh, oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. Well, if if you've been curious what it was like to hang out with that kid in '87, uh, you got this tape that Ebert recommends for for some reason, probably a payola scam, like you mentioned. Uh, then they recommend some weird special interest tapes. Siskel seems genuinely excited to be able to purchase an episode of the sixty-four thousand dollar question on videotape. He's like really hyped about that. Uh, then they're talking about the worst gifts of the year. You know they're running them down. Um, and uh, really, maybe the, the single funniest moment in this um, happens at this point where they're they're showing off this product that I didn't even know existed. To be honest, where uh, you could basically get these custom cartoon videotapes for your kids. You would like mail away a photo of your presumably of your your child, you know, to this company. and they would incorporate that photo into the cartoon. and even the, I think they would record dialogue with that you know, the kid's name or whatever. So um, they reviewed that. and and so you get to see this awful looking cartoon with a character called Lady Lovely Locks. And she's partying down with a photo of Gene Siskel, giving like a thumbs up. It's, it's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Um, Ebert, in comparison, picks something that's kind of lame. It's some, some other dumb remote control kind of a thing. And that's everything that happens in this. And, and honestly, I, I think it was a real solid use of 45 minutes of my time. Um, And to be honest with you, this is the second time that I've watched this in full this year. I I did preview this a few months (laughs) ago, making sure that it would be entertaining enough. Because I didn't want it to just be a thing where they just review movies for 45 minutes. That's boring. But I thought that, you know, this is kind of a fun little thing that they did. Um, Seeing them take jabs at each other and and playing with the new technology of the time, I I think is worthwhile and fun. And I like these guys. I I, I mean, I, I know that they get a lot of slack for being out of touch and kind of grandpa's even for the time. And I think that's true. I don't always agree with their takes, but I think that they're like legitimately pretty good broadcasters and pretty entertaining personalities. And, um, you know, they put in the work, man, they, they put, put out so much content throughout, you know, our, you know, most of our lives, um, that I think you got to, you know, give them some respect. Um, I mean, that said they, they are total goofballs. So I think it's fair to kind of goof on them a little bit, but uh, I hope you guys enjoyed watching this thing. Um, I, I hope this was appropriate for the holiday season. Not exactly a, you know, a, a Christmas uh, special, but it it's kind of is, right? But what did you guys think of the Siskel and Ebert holiday gift guide from
4: 1987? Well, um, if, before talking about this specifically, I do want to point out that Re- Roger Ebert uh, said that one particular movie was a 3.5 out of 4, and that it was an astonishing achievement in imaginative filmmaking. And that movie was Phantom Menace. Um, So. It
1: could have been more payola, for for all I know. (laughs) Probably.
4: Um, I think it's fun that in the beginning segment of this, they're sitting, like, I don't know if, like, the set manager or the set dresser, like, just was bad at their jobs or whatever, but. Or if these guys are just very close friends, but they're sitting so close to each other that their knees are, like, touching by a wide margin. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. Um, You know, like I said, it becomes pretty apparent uh, pretty quickly that this is an infomercial and that all these things that they're talking about paid money to get airtime. Um, Because, yeah, like, a lot of the shit, like, these guys don't know anything about and they're just you know they're just reading the press release they're saying oh yeah the the christy brinkley makeup it's so it's so good you got to check it out oh my god it's great uh and you know stuff like that like um it's real absurd um it is this is i mean this was obviously horrible to watch in every way but there's one part that made it worth it and that is a part where Robert, or Robert, where, where Siskel, um, is talking about some baby music video that you can buy, and he says that the best song on the video is called Piggy Toes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Siskel talking shit about, uh, Teddy Ruxpin. He can fuck right off. Teddy Ruxpin rules. Um, and yeah, I don't, yeah, it's just like two dickheads that are boring and like just talking about shit I don't care about. Like all the shit that they talk about, like it's you not don't even care like, about the Nintendo Entertainment System. Well, that's the one thing I do care about, and they fucking talk shit about it. They said the Master System was better, um, which t- time has shown a different take, uh, Siskel and Ebert. But um, yeah, I mean, it's most of the stuff in here is not even like fun to check out in like a a nostalgic way because most of the stuff like technology wise was like obsolete
1: immediately. Like even when they were talking about it, it was obsolete. Like that fucking that's what's cool about it. I mean, how many other examples do you have of somebody dicking around with a pixel vision camera, like in its heyday? Not many. Yeah, not many. Why would anyone want to talk about the pixel vision camera? It's a piece of shit. That's what's fun and interesting is is to see these weird little dead ends in culture, you know, like there's a, you know, there's a million shows out there. Like Netflix has whatever the toys that made us or whatever that, you know, tells me all about the he men and the cabbage patch dolls. And I need some content about, uh, these weird videotapes that you could splice your kids photos into so that they could interact with anime characters. (laughs)
4: Well, I, I would like to have something like that these days. Um, but, man, those Pixel Vision fucking movies that these guys made, like, Siskel went the cool route, and he just made fun of Ebert, which is what we would all do in his situation. And he did, like, the Conan thing, where, like, he just took a picture of Ebert and made the lips move, you know, with different lips and made fun of him. That's yeah, fine. Probably,
1: probably a decade before Robert Smigel did did it, too. Again, probably. Again, these guys are influential in this medium.
4: <laughs> I guess so. No, uh,
2: it's, it's all clutch cargo, baby. That's
1: where it came from. <laughs>
2: All right, fair enough.
4: But then Ebert, he does some pretentious bullshit. Like, he he pulls in Citizen Kane. He tries to make some sort of big statement about 80s yuppies while also selling you laser discs like a fucking piece of shit. Like, I just could not believe the pretentiousness he had. Like, it's like he's a complex character, Bowman. These producers were like, hey, make a minute worth of content with these stupid little fucking cameras. And he was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to say something. I got something to say about 80s consumerism and I'm, and the greatest movie of all time. I got something to say about both of these things. I'm really going to go for it here. And uh, it was so funny because they played his first and then they played Siskel's. where it's just making fun of Ebert for being a fat piece of shit. And it was just delightful
1: to see. So it's, see, When you say things like this, it sounds to me like you enjoyed watching this. I mean, part of it is goofing on these goofballs.
4: Well, I'm not goofing on these goofballs. I hate both of these motherfuckers, and I hope that they burn in hell. <laughs> this isn't a friendly goofing on these guys, but I did enjoy it then. I If we're taking into account how much I want these guys to, to be uh, being poked with pitchforks in hell right now, then... I did enjoy it on that level. I will be honest with you. You're right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I guess yeah. If you if you want to see these guys looking dumb and lamenting the days uh, where you can no longer buy toys for a dollar, then I guess this is this is for you.
2: Yeah, I. You know, I'm with you, Sean. I don't. I don't have the vitriol for Cisco Nebr <laughs> that Parker does, and you know, I. I get it you know they they are dorks and they are uptight a lot of times and you know most of the time i don't necessarily agree with uh their opinions but like sean said i think they're they're good broadcasters and interesting dudes to watch and i grew up watching sysklin but i mean that was my my ritual you know watching at the movies and that's how i knew about all the movies that were coming out and stuff and i mean i had their books and you know, they were, they're were they cultural icons. And if, you know, again, even if I maybe not wouldn't want to, you know, have dinner with these two guys, which, by the way, my buddy had dinner with uh, Gene Siskel at Disney World one time when he was a little kid. They sat at the same table as Gene Siskel somewhere in Disney Ooh. World. <laughs> you got so. people that we need to get on the
4: podcast. Let's get this yeah. thing on. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. who's uh, sitting at the dinner table with Siskel now? Adolf Hitler. Hitler, Pol Pot, Ted Bundy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah no i don't know i you know again it's it's a bygone era of film criticism and these guys you know i think they there's there's a certain level of charm of charm to them and like sean mentioned i like seeing them when they're on letterman i'll pull up clips of them all the time on youtube and watch and it is fun to watch them kind of you know bicker with each other talk shit and uh you know i think that contentious relationship is what made them so fun to watch and so you know this this is a little bit different, like you said. It is. It does feel a little bit like an infomercial, and as I mentioned, I mean immediately, like at first, I was like, okay, this could be good if it's if it's kind of like. And 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 granted, they weren't afraid to give some negative criticism towards bad products, like the Ljn, you know, sc- sketch and whatever on the TV, and you know, they talk shit about some stuff. So they were giving some honest opinion, but it, it did feel like a lot of the stuff. Obviously was paid to be featured on the special and you know that kind of rubbed me the wrong way and not only that but I think Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert both I don't know if they loved doing this I think that they probably felt they were probably a little bit above this. And I think that kind of comes through. They don't feel like they're really having too much fun with it. They they kind of feel like they want to get this over with as soon as possible, and and it does lead to like you said, them giving some very lazy and and weird reviews, like like you said, calling you know that's quitting smoking video like impressive, like come on, <laughs> uh, very silly. But it 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 was aside from the, the Siskel and Ebert factor, I found quite a bit of nostalgia for this. I mean, but the same way that I would if I flipped through like a 1987 service merchandise catalog, you know, that that was the kind of <laughs> nostalgia I had watching this, which was fun because, I mean, obviously, I remember being alive for this, even though I was a little kid. But my dad was into like electronics and gizmos and stuff, and this would be the kind of thing that he would watch with like a, a consumer reports and a, and a notepad and would be taking notes. I'm like, okay, what's the best product here? You know, like my dad was the kind of guy that he would do like, you know, weeks of research before making any sort of major purchase. Like it was more than a hundred dollars. He had to invest like a week and a half in researching like consumer reports and different <laughs> magazines to try to figure out, uh, that he wasn't going to get screwed on something. But, uh, But, yeah, so, I mean, that was fun. And, like, you know, like you said, it was fun to see some of this kind of obsolete technology that, like you said, was considered kind of high-tech in the day. You know, I'm kind of of intrigued by this Pixel Vision. I mean, it's kind of like the precursor to the Game Boy camera where it's, like, the shittiest possible camera you can have for a child. And it records video on audio cassette tapes. Like, how the fuck does that work? I mean, I'm sure there's some science behind it, but I don't know. Now I want one. I wonder how much they go for on eBay, if I can get a functioning one.
1: There's probably some kind of you know collector market for that crap.
2: Now. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's ultra hipster now to have one of those. Yeah, once, but
1: once Linklater blew it for the rest of us. Right. <laughs> but still, yeah, like
2: you said, I mean, I think this is uh, if you liked Siskel and Eber growing up, or if you like the nostalgia of flipping through like an old Sears catalog from your childhood. Uh, I think you can have some fun with this. I mean, it's not something I would say that you need to rush out and watch immediately. But, you know, if you're putting together kind of a weird Christmas time playlist of stuff from your childhood, uh, I'd say this is, is worth putting on there. If nothing else to find out about Winky Dink, and how he
1: works. Yeah, and it's it's you know, it's different. You know, it's, it's not like um, anything else. That, that we watched uh, this entire year, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it is kind of like an infomercial, I guess, but uh, hosted by two guys that I like watching. So, And, you know, I spent a lot of my teenage years just watching whatever infomercial was on at 3 a.m., and oftentimes hosted by just complete randos who I didn't care about, so. Mm-hmm. So I think you could do worse. Uh, this is on YouTube, like I mentioned. And uh, what, what I didn't mention is that Roger Ebert's hair is out of control in this. And I'm not even going to tell you what I mean by this. Uh, you just got to watch it to see. So uh, that's about it for the uh, Holiday Gift Guide 1987 edition. Uh, we will take a quick break and come back to talk about Dave Foley's The True Meaning of Christmas. So stick around. Oh, True Meaning of Christmas specials, I should say. Stick around.
4: mm mm-hmm and
1: Hanukkah.
0: for the holidays. All I know is I'm here to hunt some whiny little baby. You look like you'll do just fine. Join Dave Foley and friends Joe Flaherty, Jason Priestley, Dave Thomas, Elvis Stoiko, Kevin McDonald, Tom Green, Jen Arden, and Mike Myers. Why don't you throw in a couple of handfuls of Wayne's World money? Huh? Will do. Party on. <laughs> Dave Foley's The True Meaning of Christmas wow. Specials. Sunday at 8 on CBC. Brought to you in part by MasterCard.
4: Welcome back to... Junk, Fod, Schlitzie, the final Schlitzie, is the true meaning of Christmas specials, a 2002 television special for the Canadian Broadcasting Company, written, directed, and starring Dave Foley of The Kids in the Hall. Um, I was looking for fun and goofy TV specials for this uh, theme show, and I was looking through the Wikipedia at all of them, and it was like, okay, we got Rudolph and we got Frosty. I know about these guys. I know what they're up to. Wait a minute. Dave Foley's The True Meaning of Christmas Specials. I gotta see what this is about. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh... I watched the first five minutes or so on on YouTube, uh, which involves Dave Foley hanging out on a beach with Santa Dude and Dick Dale. And I was like, "All right, this is it. This is what we're doing. Uh, Even though Dave Foley probably is my least favorite kid in the hall. But... I mean, I love all my kids, you know? All these kids are pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I decided to give it a chance. And, um, yeah, it's the the first, you know, third of this, I would say is, uh, riproriously funny.
1: Do we uh, know, before you get into that, do we know, did this air in America? Because it's the version that we watched has like a, what is it a cbc logo which i think is like a Mm -hmm. canadian channel but i I wasn't clear if this ever played on comedy central or something like that or not that i know of
4: uh it's yeah it's very canadian one of the more canadian things i think we've ever watched on the show
1: i guess that would explain why like people don't really know about this or, or why i didn't really know about it yeah i mean and there's like a ton
4: of like funny people in this, like in, in as we'll get into, um, it is, yeah, it is. I mean, I guess just because it's Dave Foley and he's, I mean,
1: let's face it. He's no Bruce, you know, Scott, barely a Mark, but he's know. the most famous kid in America, you know, between news radio and, and the other film stuff that he did. Uh, that is a good point. He, uh, yeah,
4: against all odds, he probably is the most famous kid. Um, so yeah, so that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why this isn't more well known, but um, I mean, it is it is viciously Canadian, but um, yeah, but yeah. So uh, so yeah, it starts out. Dave Foley, Dick Dale, and Santa Dude, played by um, Jason Priestley, who I assume is Canadian, are all partying. There's like you know bikini beach ladies dancing around and uh, they're trying to get christmas and hanukkah off to a good start uh but dave's just not feeling it he uh he doesn't think that it's right this christmas special and he wants his christmas special to be just right because christmas specials are an important time in any celebrity's life he says so he goes to get advice from the most rich and famous guy he knows mike myers um in order to get into Mike Myers' house, he has to talk to Mike Myers' butler, who is who is Tom Green. Not just played by Tom Green, but I think it's supposed to be Tom Green, which is very funny. Um and oh, and also he he meets up with Andy Richter, who plays a priest, uh who is just standing out on the beach and he tries to tell Dave Foley about the meaning of Christmas and all this, and Dave Foley's just not having it. <laughs> And uh, which is a funny scene. So anyway, they talk to Mike Myers. He talks to Mike Myers, and Mike Myers gives him good advice. He tells him that he has to go to Canada if he wants to make the best Christmas special. Um, And he tells him this while uh, taking a bath uh, full of money. And (laughs) before Dave Foley leaves, he asks him to uh, give him a little uh, freshening up with some warm money Um, and he's got two big barrels of money, uh, to choose from. One is the Austin powers money. And one is the Wayne's world money. (laughs) (laughs) That's before you even had the barrel of Shrek money. True. True. It's got all kinds of barrels these days. Um, so that's all very fun. And so, so Dave Foley goes back to the beach. He gets his crew. They go to a Canadian lodge. It's now very cozy and Christmassy. Um, they Foley meets up with a figure skater and does some figure skating. He meets up with El Vez, who uh, our good friend Chalky is playing a concert with. I think this weekend, uh, which sadly I cannot go to. Um, they're also playing with Kebby uh, Gooley, who's one of my favorite men in the world. Um, so that's a fun coincidence that that guy's in here. Um, and I think a lot of the a lot of the more subversive stuff from the beginning kind of gives way to more traditional Christmas kind of humor and, and stuff in the second half. Um and it kind of turns into a Charles Dickens thing where uh Dave is visited by Christmas pat Christmas specials past, uh, present and future. The past Christmas special that they're visited by is the uh David Bowie and Bing Crosby Christmas, which is funny. Um and the future Christmas uh is um played by Kevin McDonald of the kids in the hall who constantly talks down to Dave Foley for being a primitive present guy. And he says, if Dave Foley does a good job with his Christmas special, he'll let him play with his own feces as a gift, which is funny Um, (laughs) as a reward. Um, So yeah, so this is very fun. I thought, um, I think the first half, like I said, is way better than the second half. Um, but it's, it's all fun. There's some fun musical numbers. Um, Dave Foley figure skating is very funny to me because it's, it's the, the joke that you've probably seen in some other stuff where it's like an obvious stuntman. And I, I don't care how many times I see that joke. It's always funny. Um, there's also, one guy goes, one guy, like while Dave's walking around trying to find the meaning of Christmas specials, a guy goes to him, hey, you're Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall. And he goes, and news radio. And I think that that's funny, (laughs) like, to be mad that people have forgotten news radio. Um, And also probably, like, a a tinge truthful, because I think at this time, Dave Foley and the kids were not on good terms at all. Um, Well, he's on good enough terms with Kevin McDonald to have him in here. Well, well, that's kind of the thing. I recently read the book about kids in the hall, and, like, the kids in the hall, it seems like, was Dave and Kevin and, like, the other three, like, kind of, like there were like definitely two troops in there fighting for supremacy kind of a thing. And, uh, like Dave and Kevin were like good friends before kids in the hall. So like they, they love each other through thick and thin, but I guess the, the rift is Kevin and, and, uh, Dave and, and Mark and, uh, Bruce McCullough, the greatest human to ever live. Um,
2: yeah. I also found out that Mike Myers and Dave Foley were friends from teenage years, And then Mike Myers almost was a kid in the hall.
4: Yeah. He mentions that they were friends uh, since, yeah, since uh, they were kids in this. And yeah, uh, in the book, he mentions that a little bit. Yeah. Like, that would have been wild. How comedy, like, history would have changed if Mike Myers was a kid rather than on SNL. Um, If only we were sliders and could go to that dimension and see what happened. (laughs) All right um yeah this is fun i don't know i had a good time watching this and now i might even have to reconsider dave being my least favorite kid because i think this is really really good and i'll probably watch this uh during christmases and hanukkahs of the future but what do you guys think about it
2: yeah i had never heard of this before um honestly i i don't know um i guess just because it it was only aired in in canada and yeah, I just, for whatever reason, you know, don't follow Dave Foley's career close enough that I would have known about this. But yeah, when this first came on, I was like, oh, wow, there's, you know, a lot of cool people in this. Like you said, Tom Green, Mike Myers, Jason Priestley. I mean, I, I don't know how cool you consider him, but he's in there. Andy Richter, <laughs> uh, Dave Thomas <laughs> playing Bob Hope, essentially. Dick Dale, like you said, Alves. Um Joe yeah, Flaherty is in there, too. Joe Flaherty is Baden Crosby. Yeah, they have a weird kind of parody of the bing crosby david bowie little drummer boy but the song's like about like monsters on christmas it's very <laughs> yeah. very weird but yeah this was fun um you know i wouldn't say it was hilarious like there was no point in time in any of this that i was like laughing out loud a lot of the humor in this was just kind of like you know smiling politely in my chair watching this like Neh. All right, that's not bad. But, you know, nothing (laughs) that was, like, cracking me up. And, you know, I don't know if Dave Foley's heart (laughs) was 100% into this. I mean, I'd be kind of curious to hear kind of how this thing came about, whether this was something that Dave Foley actually wanted to do or if he was somehow kind of, like, roped into it or something. And, you know, this is 2002. Dave Foley. So, it was already after the fact that he had um you know gone through that horrible divorce that like drained him of all his money and made him like have to like flee canada because his wife was collecting like 400 percent of his salary and child support or something have you heard about that
4: yeah yeah a little bit yeah it seems yeah like it was like something where like he went through a divorce like when news radio was like super hot, so he was making yeah. a ton of money. And then after news radio, he ma- he was like making very very little money, but he still had to pay the news radio, right? Like alimony and child support. So yeah,
2: yeah, it was something ridiculous like fifteen thousand dollars a month in child support. He's like, I don't make fifteen thousand dollars a month at all anymore. So yeah, he couldn't go back to Canada for a long time because if he did, he would would have been arrested for not paying child support but yeah obviously he was yeah he was kind of depressed and you can kind of tell that in this like you know there's definitely a turn where like dave foley went from like you know kids in the hall dave foley to like depressed dave like you know after news (laughs)
1: basically yeah, um, I, I feel like this is the the period of time where like he would like show up in public like kind of drunk like around town. Like I, I re- kind of remember that being a thing. Like uh oh, Dave Foley's kind of a mess right now, you know.
2: Yeah, so I would be interested to see if this was his like creation, you know, if if he was like he brought this to Canada the broadcasting corporations and here's my idea for Christmas special, let's do this, or if it was like the other way around, where the uh, CBC came to him and was like, "Hey, put together a Canadian Christmas special because we have to have X amount of Canadian content." And he was just like, "Okay, but I get to have Elvez," and I'm like, "All right, whatever. I don't know who that is." <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, so there's fun stuff in this. I, I thought the Elvez performance at the end of uh, Feliz Navidad was very good. Uh, I, I really liked Dave Thomas as as uh, uh, Bob Hope. I thought he was pretty funny. I I did like that Mike Myers bit of him bathing in money and <laughs> William's worth money and Austin Powers' money and, and and this Tom Green as his butler. I thought that was funny. Again, not laugh out loud funny, but again, just like, huh, there you go. Very funny. But, uh, yeah, Dick Dale, just again, a weird choice, but uh, fun to see him in there. And, yeah, Jason Priestley is Santa dude. You know, again, not very funny, but interesting, nonetheless. <laughs> Uh, So, yeah, overall, I mean, it did kind of drag a little bit. I felt like, you know, this maybe would have worked better as like a half hour Christmas special. It didn't have to necessarily be an hour long. But um, nevertheless, it it was still an interesting watch of something that I had no idea even existed. So, yeah, if you've seen, you know, all the classic Christmas specials and you want something a little bit differently this year with a little bit of a Canadian accent, yeah, check out the true meaning of Christmas specials.
1: Yeah, I I also didn't know anything about this, but I was interested, you know, because I, you know, I do like Dave Foley and um, like you mentioned, a lot of uh, fun guest stars in this. Uh, But, you know, it starts off on the beach doing that kind of like MTV spring break kind of a thing. (laughs) Yeah, And uh, something about that just kind of immediately soured my mood. And I know that that's kind of the point that, you know, later when they cut to Canada, and it's snowy and stuff. It's supposed to, you know, have that contrast. But I, I was very ready to get out of that environment. Um, and I was also kind of bummed out at first, you know, we're meeting all these celebrities, you know, on the beach, Andy Richter and and Tom Green and, and Mike Myers at the house. Um, and all of their cameos are like so short and and really kind of one joke. And again, like, I think that's maybe part of the point is that they're kind of lampooning like holiday specials of days past where that would happen a lot. But it's also like really unsatisfying to have like Tom Green show up in this and then be kind of like pushed off camera after only like 30 seconds or something. Um, I I did like the the gag with Mike Myers in the, the bathtub full of dollar bills. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, And, you know, once they went up to Canada, I think things did get a little bit more fun for me, Um, maybe because, you know, I think that this this whole thing is so distinctly Canadian, like not just in terms of like the casting and like the tone of the humor, but also like the tone of the production. Like there's something, you know, lo-fi, but also kind of like pleasantly low ambition about the way that this is shot, um, that it just looks better up there in Canada, you know, versus them shooting on a beach. Um, I I do wish that they had spent like a little little bit more money on this thing, though, because they did seemingly shoot this on that kind of early digital video that like looks like garbage and will always look like garbage. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, But there's some funny moments in it. You know, there's a a point where he he calls a guy a world famous figure skater and heterosexual. I I thought that was a funny (laughs) line. And. Uh, the fake, uh, you know, oversized ears on the Bing, Bing Crosby, I thought were pretty funny, um, and Dave Foley's Bowie impression is is pretty credible. I, I you know, from the right angle, he kind of looks like Bowie, um, so that's kind of fun. Um, but it's yeah, pre- I mean, it's actually it's it's pronounced Bowie. Bowie, I thought I it was Bowie. Be boo- Bowie. <laughs> I've been saying it wrong all these years. Um, nice. <laughs> Jk, Jk. But yeah, this thing's kind of boring overall. You, you know, the the joke ratio is pretty low. And and I, I will say in its favor, I think it gets better as time goes on. I probably liked each subsequent scene more than the last. Uh, but even then, by the time we got to the end, it's not like I was loving this thing. But you know, the the um the ghost of Christmas future stuff, I you know I I thought was was kind of funny. Um, you know, the way that he was razzing Dave Foley about being. Um, you know, a heathen from the past. I I thought that stuff was kind of funny. Um, Yeah, overall, I I think unless you are like a Dave Foley fanatic or a Kids in the Hall completist, I I think you can fairly easily skip this. But, you know, there are a lot of Kids in the Hall fanatics out there who maybe didn't realize that this is out there and that you can stream it. And for them, uh, you know, you can cross this off your list. But I, I, I do kind of wish that this had delivered more, you know, with the elements that they had, because they had all these funny people just kind of coming in and, and not doing very much. But it, yeah, it's all right.
3: Well.
4: That, I guess, wraps it up for the. Dave Foley Christmas <laughs> special.
1: I think the I, true meaning of Christmas specials turns out to be there. You know, none of them are that great. Right, that's probably true. That is, that's the yeah. lesson to take away from this, is that.
2: I mean, they do the trick. I mean, that's the thing. If you're, they're meant to be disposable. You watch them on Christmas, you throw them away. They're not really meant to be. You know, you don't go back to them every year necessarily.
4: But uh. Except for that Pac-Man one. Except for the Pac-Man one, of course. Yeah, but this is probably the only Christmas special that has like cool surf rock. So I think it's probably one of the better ones.
2: That surf rock goes a long way. <laughs>
4: that it does. Uh, so, right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to ask you to give us some of that Wayne's World money because we're feeling nostalgic. So, party on.
3: Hi, I'm Cooley with the Solid Gold Dancers, wishing you the happiest holiday season ever.
4: Solid Gold, Saturdays at 8
0: on TV 29. Ladies and gentlemen of the audience, there's something I've not been telling you over the years. Gene has been coaching me on what to say. Every single word that I say. Thank you. I mean, what did Gene Siskel and Ebert ever do? What did they do? I mean, where did they get their credentials? You know, the two people they are referred to as the fat guy and his friend. I mean, what did they do in life to deserve to say, don't go to that film, it's a piece of whatever. I mean, based upon what? The the enormous hits they've produced? The screenplays they've
4: written? The pictures they've directed? The acting they've done? Or is it based upon the fact that one is fat and one is thin? I mean, it's astonishingly. And
0: I do get uh, upset about it, yes.
2: that just about wraps it up for episode number 598 of junk food dinner we'll like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening if you like the show as you know we have our website junkfooddinner.com where you can find all of our previous episodes easily chronicled for your listening pleasure or of course you can just search for junk food dinner in your favorite podcast listening app find us there but chances are you've probably already done that And if you're a long-time listener and uh, you want to spread the word about Junk Food Dinner, tell a friend. We always appreciate that. But uh, maybe you want some more Junk Food Dinner in your life. You've listened to all the episodes. You listen to them every time, every week. They come out, and then you're done. You want more. Well, we have more over at patreon.com slash junkfooddinner. You can get more Junk Food Dinner in your life for $5 or or more a month. You get a monthly bonus episode of Junk Food Desserts that we uh, post every month, covering any manner of topic that we decide to talk about—not just movies, but all things pop culture, from music and snacks and uh, you know nostalgia and just general weirdness. Uh, so we also have uh, over fifty of those in the bank. So uh, go over to Patreon.com/slash uh and check those out for ten bucks or more a month. You can be like the fine folks. Uh, that pick the movies each month on our Dom DeLuise Patreon picked episodes, and uh, put your movies in the in the running to be picked on a monthly episode of Junk Food Dinner. Dinner. Uh, in other news, news you can st- stay in touch with us through uh, all the, the common channels, but most importantly, send us a, send us a voicemail. Next week's our Christmas episode. We'd love to hear some Christmas messages from you out there in the JFD listening audience. So, that being said, next week, it is our Christmas week, $5.99. One small episode away from our big 600. Uh, But first, got a party Christmas style and we've got three feature films to get you in the holiday spirit. We've got Nutcracker Fantasy from 1979, Santa Claus Colon the Movie from 1985, and assassin 33 ad aka black easter from 2020 so make sure you tune in for that so until next time this is kevin moss for park department and sean byron saying adios everybody we will see you next time welcome to another hard-hitting edition of thinking about them titties it's the podcast where every week we're thinking about them titties i'm a pervert
4: yeah